We're doing whatever it takes to provide as close of an experience to Solana, meaning high throughput, low cost, but on Ethereum. So that means everything's denominated in ETH. The DeFi, NFT ecosystems are all in ETH. And all other choices are all based on that North Star. So whether we're using Celestia for DA or something else, because we want to increase throughput or minimize cost, and we want to do it in a verifiable way. Welcome to Steady Lads. In this episode, I talk to Neil from Eclipse. Eclipse is an Ethereum L2 that uses the Solana virtual machine and the Cosmos-based chain Celestia for data availability. In this episode, we talk about what Eclipse is, why they chose to build as an L2, why they chose to use the SVM versus the EVM, and overall, what Eclipse uniquely brings to the space. Let's dive right in. Can you introduce yourself, like who you are and how you're related to Eclipse? Yeah, so I'm Neil founder of Eclipse, and I started Eclipse in September 2022. Before that, I was working in traditional finance. So that's power, gas, doing that over at Citadel in Chicago. And my roots are in the Bay Area. So I moved back here after I left Citadel to start my own thing in crypto. And I started playing around with some ideas in March 2022, maybe April. And I guess it's based on whenever my bonus would have hit. So that's March. <laughs> And I left, moved to SF, and then I started Eclipse in September. Wow. Okay. And, and what made you want to start Eclipse? I was initially working in the Cosmos ecosystem, and I just thought that it was alarming how quickly Terra had grown. And then it was also consequently alarming how quickly it collapsed. <laughs> so I was building in that ecosystem, and then I left when all the TVL flowed out, and it was just a mess. And then Nick White at Celestia, which is another blockchain, they're big, big on rollups. They had reached out to me and I was thinking a little bit about the layer two ecosystem. And I was living in Chicago, so I was near Solana. So Solana Labs is based there. There's also a lot of Solana builders. I think there was even a conference during that time. And I was just thinking about the intersection between those two, specifically, how could we build an ultra performant layer two network? And there are all these constraints on why it's not as easy as building a performant layer one. But that's what got me thinking in this direction. I was playing around with a different idea too that was related to taking Cosmos chains and turning those into Ethereum layer twos. And I'm actually surprised no one's built the scaffolding and surrounding infra in order to facilitate that. Because I think that that's a great idea too. I did not end up pursuing that obviously. But those were the two things I was playing around with at the time. Good old Terra Luna. Man, when I first got started investing in crypto, I put 760 bucks into Luna. I didn't know what I was doing. It turned into $150,000. Jesus Christ. That's crazy. <laughs> but, um, man, I had, it, I had it staked. So when it collapsed, I had, you know, that like 21-day unbonding period? Yeah, I had that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had um, some of the guys. We were at a Terra hacker house. And the folks that were working at Terra, a lot of them initially got interested because they did the same thing as you, maybe even at a larger scale. One guy had $30 million of Luna. And he had his backpack, was on his hardware wallet. We went out to the local club, so Tao. And we were out there super late. And it was just a ridiculous setup because you have these crypto guys wearing shorts and their fat spilling out of their shirt. And they're paying every <laughs> bouncer like 200 bucks each. And we're just cutting straight to the front. We got the nicest table. It's crazy. And uh, then he got so drunk, he left his backpack there with all $30 million of Luna in that hardware wallet. And he was freaking out because you'd figure that'd get stolen or something. But 
I don't think people realized exactly how much that backpack was worth at that time. Those were the days those, when we were all wealthy and just living. <laughs> yeah, that's really where. Um, can you can you briefly explain what is Eclipse? So Eclipse is a layer two. And layer one blockchains like Ethereum, Solana, they execute transactions. They share the result of executing those transactions with all the participants in the network and everyone votes. And in order for that security mechanism to work, however you assign weight to votes, meaning whatever your civil resistance mechanism is, typically requires some amount of money. You're either all running some hardware and you're solving a problem. That's how Bitcoin does it. And it's essentially reducing your vote to how many CPUs or cores you have. Another way of doing votes is you literally put dollars down. That's proof of stake. But at some way, shape, or form, it's very expensive to run these layer one blockchains. Whereas a layer two blockchain attempts to re-leverage or borrow that security from an existing layer one. So that's what we're doing with Eclipse. It's a layer two blockchain, but the difference is that we're building the most performant layer two blockchain. So we took this blockchain, a layer one called Solana, which is built for high throughput, low latency. We forked it. We've added in additional verifiability properties. And now we're using that in order to borrow the security of ETH and also tap into that asset base, which at this point is the most active programmable money asset base that exists in the world. So that's that's the reasoning behind what we're doing. Okay, okay. So um, it's an L2. This is built on Ethereum. And the L2 part is important because for profitability, essentially, like a normal, when you're, if you're launching your own blockchain uh, as an L1, you got to worry about like validators and like being able to incentivize them to like come in like secure the blockchain but as an lt it's a lot cheaper that that cost structure is a lot cheaper since you're um essentially borrowing the security from uh, ethereum's l1 on top of that you're also using the solana virtual machine the svm uh instead of the ethereum virtual machine the evm and so that would be what differentiates you versus something like arbitrum or optimism but even on top of that you guys are using celestia for your da uh, meaning you get a lot cheaper costs uh, because um, in, instead of having to use Ethereum's DA, you're using Celestia, which is which is just a lot cheaper. Is that a good way to kind of summarize it? Yeah, I think the right way to think about it is we're doing whatever it takes to provide as close of an experience to Solana, meaning high throughput, low cost, but on Ethereum. So that means everything's denominated in ETH. The DeFi, NFT ecosystems are all in ETH. And all other choices are all based on that North Star. So whether we're using Celestia for DA or something else, because we want to increase throughput or minimize costs, and we want to do it in a verifiable way. We're using risk zero for proving. It's because there might just not be another good way of achieving the kind of proof-based bridge that we want on Ethereum without using risk zero. So that's the right way to or make sense of all of our decisions. And that also explains why we're an optimistic roll-up rather than a ZK roll-up. Because if we were ZK, we'd have to prove every single transaction. And that would prove to be prohibitively expensive. It'd likely drive costs to at least single digit cents, if not tens of cents per transaction. Whereas the types of apps that we can support right now, given it's, high, it's so high throughput and paralyzed, we can support a full order book on chain. And Solana's always supported that from day one via Serum and now it's called open book. But yeah, op things like order books, RFQs, perps, these are uniquely possible in Eclipse because in order for a market maker to submit cancel orders, for example, for an order book, they need those costs to be one one hundredth of a penny, even better if it's lower. 
So that's the target cost that we're shooting for. Yeah, that's always what people in Solana talk about is like the, uni the unique use cases that Solana enables that maybe you can't get anywhere else because of um, with Solana specifically, really fast speeds, really cheap costs. And that has a, a big part of that is the Solana virtual machine, which you've mentioned that a, a couple times. Can you maybe really simply break down like what is the difference between something like the Solana virtual machine and the Ethereum virtual machine? I think the right way to frame it is that first, just to break down what is the virtual machine when we're referring to it, because it could refer to the bytecode or the actual machine architecture. And usually things like whether something is parallelized or single threaded don't necessarily rely on the fact of using one virtual machine over another. But there, there's all these surrounding details like wire formats, meaning what parts of state you're accessing can all be specified in a Solana transaction. So the reason why I say all that at the beginning is because the distinction SVM versus EVM is a little bit more non-technical than some people would prefer. So I just want to caveat everything I'm saying by that. But the high-level explanation is that the Ethereum virtual machine is typically single-threaded, meaning each transaction is run one at a time. And that means that if there's a massive NFT mint, if there's a big meme coin that launches, then all of those transactions will pretty much fill the blocks on the EVM. And that's because those people who are trying to claim that NFT are going to bid the most. And therefore, if you want your transaction to also be on the chain, you need to be competitive with those bids. And therefore, like the cost um, rises for everyone. And that's typically what people refer to when they think about congestion on an EVM chain. Whereas the Solana virtual machine has multiple cores and you're able to run multiple transactions in parallel. So even if there's a big NFT mint, that might totally occupy one core. It's true that all those NFT mint transactions have to be executed sequentially. There's no better way to resolve it. But everyone else is free to go through these other lanes on the highway. And because there's no binding constraint, they don't have to bid and compete with the NFT transactions. Instead, they're able to bid lesser amounts and still be included. So that's the fundamental difference. And that's referred to as local fee markets. There's different ways to implement it, and there are improvements coming. But that's a high level on, on why the Solana virtual machine is great and why it's more optimized for things like mass NFT mints or clubs than other VMs. So it, maybe would a, a good way to put it be like if it was like a store and like Ethereum is like a store with one checkout stand and you can like bid to be the first person in line on that. Or like the, the, the longer the line gets, the higher the cost of checking out gets or something. Um, yeah, I think that what you said before is better. Yeah, like you bid to be at the front of the checkout line. And when you have multiple checkout lines, that's great because probably there's some open lands and you don't need to bid. Whereas if there's only one, then you pretty much always will have to bid in order to get in. With you guys being SVM based, does that mean that Solana based apps are going to be maybe the main apps that are going to kind of transfer over? You know, like think about anytime there's a new like L2 or a new EVM chain, right? It's always like Uniswap ports over or like somebody forks Uniswap and ports that over. Um, kind of all the same apps kind of can port over to those, those chains. But with you being SVM based, and I think one of the first chains that's SVM based outside of Solana, what, what does that mean? Is it going to be Solana-based apps that kind of move over there? Or what are you anticipating or what are you seeing? I think in the short term, that's a really obvious way for us to bootstrap and populate our ecosystem. In the medium to long term, I'd expect most Eclipse dApps to be Eclipse native or Eclipse first. Just because if you take a step back and think from a first principles perspective, in terms of where should an app developer deploy, we've essentially broken up the blockchain and taking the best of all pieces. When it comes to execution, Solana is best in class, but the Achilles heel to me has always been that 
they haven't been able to tap into that Ethereum dry powder. And there's billions and billions of dollars of dry powder, as we've seen with Blast, Manta, some of these other projects that have actually bootstrapped that level of TBL. So we're using Ethereum for settlement for that reason, using Solana for execution, and then on the scalability, verifiability, low cost side, that's why we're using Celestia. So I figure that for a developer in the medium term, if they're picking where to, where to build, then they should take Eclipse as a serious option. Have you seen any interest from Solana-based projects so far? We have a few blue chips that will be deploying on day one for mainnet, and that's targeted uh, later this quarter. And we also generally keep it warm with, let's say, the top 20 dApps on the Solana side. I'd say that projects that have not launched a token, if they're based on Solana, are probably having a lot of speculative activity right now on Solana. So it's smart for them to lean into that until they finalize their point system token launch. Whereas the more mature projects, as they're looking to expand their market or reach new orthogonal pools of liquidity, that makes a lot of sense for them to start looking at Eclipse. I remember like early days back in 2017, we had Ethereum. And then you had like a bunch of other blockchains launching, but they were all like different. Like everyone was like, they weren't based on the EVM. It was kind of clunky moving around. And then pretty quickly, a lot of them were just like, okay, we're going to be EVM based. And, and, and it made it a lot easier for me to move funds in between these chains. And you again, like you saw a lot of projects forking over and these ecosystems were essentially bootstrapped with a bunch of services and projects day one launching. Is this kind of that sort of kind of feel for, for maybe the Solana's SVM in some ways, uh, would you say? I think so. It's a weird reverse direction where now we're moving back to Ethereum. And to some degree, I think the Ethereum roadmap was designed to accommodate this and somewhat eat innovation, so to speak. Yeah. Where if there are great innovations on their blockchains, then the Ethereum blockchain is set up in such a way that it can still support that. So I'd say that we'd expect a lot of that initial momentum to transfer over from the Solana speculation over to Eclipse. And then the downside is that Solana was never really built with the intention of something like Eclipse existing. So I'd argue that the existence of Eclipse is somewhat inevitable, given the fact that Solana is successful. That's what Ethereum wants to happen. And that's what Ethereum will almost make happen just by the invisible hand of capitalism. But um, my caveat is that the surrounding infrastructure for Solana, such as wallets, isn't really built for a multi-chain world. So we have to manually work with these wallet providers initially and get them to change or adopt standards such that they're able to support Eclipse effectively. Yeah, that's, that's the hard part, I feel like, for Solana is like, on, on one hand, I feel like this is really good for Solana because, again, the EVM expanding out was really good for Ethereum, I feel like. It, it created a really big network effect. But on the other hand, for Solana, you know, their whole thing is like everything in a single shared state. Like we are, we are the one where every, we're, we're going to be the place where all activity is. And you guys are like, well, you know, you could also come over here and have activity over here. And also, you know, we're, we're built on Ethereum and we're using Celestia for DA. I know it's still going to be a little different though. Like what, what would be the main differences between something like Eclipse and Solana? I think from a North Star perspective, Solana optimizes for performance. And they've done a very good job of that. Very high throughput, low latency, and that's why we picked it to fork initially, and we'll continue to adopt those improvements. On the other hand, Eclipse has this hard constraint that we have to have some level of verifiability in order to even be in Ethereum layer 2. That means our transactions are a little bit bigger because there's some additional data in there that's required in order for our bridge to work. And there's other details like that that, um, that impact the theoretical throughput of Eclipse 
uh, in an unfavorable way, but it still ends up landing pretty close. And the reality is Solana doesn't use its full theoretical throughput anyway. So that's one difference. The second is that the types of apps that I'd expect to really thrive on Eclipse are ones that make use of the unique Ethereum asset base. So things like Frentech, for example, I feel that deploying on the, the Ethereum ecosystem made a lot of sense for Frentech just because there's precedent for doing that. Ethereum people love speculative, especially social, almost borderline gambling type games uh, and social networks. But the downside is that the EVM was so crippled that during the peak of Frentech, I thought the user experience was a little bit painful. So from a UX performance standpoint, Frentech would have been better on Solana, but from a liquidity perspective, they needed to be on Ethereum. So that's a great intersection where I think Eclipse can really tap into and win. What do you think about Cosmos? Because like, I I can understand Solana. I feel like Anatoly, he's obsessed with speed. He's like, I'm going to make this the fastest thing possible. That's like really, a lot of his conversation boils down to how fast can I make this thing? And I I have a hard time believing anyone's going to get it faster. I don't know what the unique use cases he's going after with the speed is, but like maybe that's their little thing. Like we are super, super fast. Um, and then you have Ethereum, you know, it, it's obviously got some big network effects. Cosmos over here, it, it's kind of like the, the, where all innovation kind of starts. I feel like, like a lot of the big breakthroughs in the space came from Cosmos, but at this point, like you have Ethereum with their L2s that are kind of replicating in a lot of ways, the Cosmos vision, where, where do you see Cosmos going in the next like five to 10 years? You still see people it's still being like a big thing or do you think l2s are kind of stealing some of that thunder so i used to think that the direction cosmos would have to move in is something somewhat like their interchain security that they are moving toward but more in the direction of turning them all into l2s i still think that's too many l2s and the reality is just because of power laws and network effects most activity ends up consolidating on the top cosmos chains or top chains in general anyway so I find that many Cosmos chains are not really necessary and they don't need to be Cosmos chains. Though you get the added advantage, and this is more of a go-to-market, not a technical reason, but the Korean market loves Cosmos chains and they love L1s in general. So if you want to tap into that, you might be most effectively positioned as a Cosmos L1. At the same time, I think that they're in this awkward position where they're trying to turn everything into money, meaning that every token or every chain has its own token, its own native token. And it's really hard to achieve moneyness to begin with, whether you're a digital asset or not. And as far as digital assets go, we pretty much only see Bitcoin and ETH being the types of money that people literally just store their money in or they store their value in. And they just use it for their day-to-day transactions in different ecosystems. So I think it's tough to bootstrap and to break that, that mold of getting people to be willing to manage so many different types of currency. Though what Cosmos got right is the, I mean, this is disputable because the indexers are confusing and things like that. But I think a Kepler wallet and the wallets in the Cosmos ecosystem at least recognizes a first order property that there are many Cosmos chains. And that means that I can see all my tokens very easily as opposed to Ethereum layer two ecosystem with MetaMask, it's incredibly confusing. And if we saw more than let's say five to 10 actively used L2s, I just don't think that the surrounding infrastructure is there to support that at this point. What is the like, cost structure of an l2 versus an l1 and is is that like is that why you chose it or you also mentioned earlier that it's like kind of this idea of like tapping into the eth ecosystem was kind of chose is was why you chose it is it one or the other can you explain that there's probably three high level reasons the first is economics which you mentioned the second is tapping into eth liquidity and those network effects 
And the third is around verifiability, where the first two, I think, are easier to understand, meaning that it's just much less hardware required to run a layer two. And therefore, you don't even need a native token. You don't need to inflate it. If you look at some tokens like Sol or other tokens, they are fairly inflationary, and that's in order to compensate validators uh, fairly, given that they're burning a lot of money month after month, year after year, and the transaction fees don't always make up for that. So that's one part of it. And tapping into ETH liquidity is fairly straightforward if everything's denominated in ETH. And you could theoretically even do that as some kind of proof of authority on one if you wanted to. But the important part is the verifiability property, which is that there's this trade-off between the overall performance of your chain versus how much hardware is required in order to operate it. And if you just think about what we were talking about with the Solana virtual machine earlier, in that it's utilizing multiple cores. So if you really want to max out the throughput of this thing, you should add even more cores. And for slightly technical reasons that, that doesn't work right now, that wouldn't really help. But if, if those issues were fixed, then adding more cores would indeed make the chain move faster. And you could add more RAM and it scales with the amount of hardware you throw at it. But the downside is now if I'm an ordinary user, I can't really participate in the network anymore. So the solution is by making the blockchain proof-based. So you let the builder and producer nodes be very big. And the fix is that now you also have some proof-based mechanism. Either you're producing a ZK proof to correspond to the execution of those transactions, and you can prove very cheaply whether a transaction was executed correctly, or you have some other optimistic fraud-proof mechanism, which is another way of achieving the same verifiability properties. But either way, you make it so that if I'm running on my cell phone or on some really cheap device, then I can very cheaply verify that the chain is operating correctly and I can have confidence in that fact. The two things about L2s that I've liked is that for, for one, from like a builder's perspective, you're launching this thing and you're not like um, at, a, at this massive deficit from day one. You're not having to like take all your tokens and constantly um, pay them out to these validators. It, it's like a, something like a 90% reduction, right? Like te technically, if people are using Eclipse a decent amount, the, the chain should be profitable day one as an L2. Um, well, not quite on day one, just because there is some hardware, right? But, but pretty much, if assuming a non-trivial volume of transactions, it's a lot easier to be profitable compared to layer ones that have existed for years and they're still not profitable. So yeah, at a high level, I pretty much agree with what you said. Yeah, yeah, because you have chains like Avalanche, Solana, et cetera. These things are not profitable today. Like they, they, they operate at a deficit. They, they operate at a loss. And but L2s, like like you said, maybe not day one, but like pretty quickly, they, they hit profitability. And then the second thing is is security and safety in that like if Eclipse now it's a little different with Eclipse because you have Celestia, but um if Eclipse were to like go offline, users could still get their funds back down to Ethereum. And yeah. so you have this exit route where like if something went wrong with Eclipse, the, your funds are totally safe. Now with with uh, Eclipse, the added thing is that Celestia also has to be fine. So as long as Celestia and Ethereum are, are operational and good, you know, users' funds are totally safe. W wouldn't you say, would you say that's like a pretty big reason to be an L2? I'd say so. And then you can even have a fallback so that if Celestia were to go down, then you could just publish transactions directly to Ethereum. Of course, the costs are literally going to 1,000x if that happens because Celestia is so much cheaper than posting directly to Ethereum. But you could have that kind of fallback mechanism. How cheap would transactions be on Eclipse? You got the SVM, you got Celestia. So the main cost is basically the cost of publishing those bytes to Celestia, which is critical for our trust for our security model. And the target cost there is about one 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 hundredth of a penny. 
And that's consistent with the cost that we're seeing on Celestia mainnet right now. Dang, one one hundredth of a penny. So you would have, you, you mentioned those unique order book use cases. Can you go into those? Like what use cases do you envision? Like a bunch of deep end projects? Um, what, what are the things that you're looking at where you're like, hey, only on uh, Eclipse as an L2 are you going to see these things? That's fair. That deep end is definitely interesting. And within the Ethereum ecosystem, we're probably best positioned to handle those. I'm not as interested in pursuing them yet, just because you need all that surrounding infrastructure in DeFi, NFTs, and so forth in order to have a viable deep end ecosystem. So we're leaning into DeFi to start. That's probably 60% of the conversations that we have. And then on the NFT side, we're partnering with some major marketplace and launchpad. And we have a handful of NFT collections that are launching week after week. So that's all to say that I feel DeFi and NFTs are highly differentiating just because that's where EVM-based chains tend to throw up. So DeFi meaning they can't really support order books at this point or RFQs, which is what I think they've essentially converged on, but moved most of it off chain. And then for NFT mints, these big bins like other deeds, for example, have been other NFT mints that have essentially stopped chains or they've had to pause the mint just because they get so so out of control and the chain gets pounded with transactions that it is not built to really handle. And to some degree, Solana went through those same growing pains. And that that's literally taken down the chain several times historically. And they were able to survive it. And they survived it mostly because they recognized that this is one of the biggest use cases for their kind of infrastructure. So they built in the local fee markets. They have this whole set of improvements called QoS or quality of service improvements that they implemented about a year ago. And the chain has not gone down since. When do you plan on, or when are you eyeing launching Eclipse? We're going to launch in Q1. So we will have a main net. And of this initial, year? Of this year, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's awesome. You, so you got to be pumped. Q1, that's like soon. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to be main net, you said? That's our main net, yeah. And uh, do you guys have any... I don't even know if you can talk about this, but do you have any plans to launch a token? So at this point, we don't have plans to launch a token just because it's not needed for the layer two. Everything's paid in ETH. And uh, I think we want to keep it that way unless there is some reason that forces us to launch a token. And what's nice about it is it's just less to worry about. It reminds me of with Mad Lads. Uh, that's a NFT collection that was launched by the Solana wallet called Backpack. Now they're doing an exchange and more than that. But they launched this NFT collection and it was really more of a, hassle that it was worth because now they have to manage the nft collection and the holders they have to manage expectations around that if the price goes down then they have to deal with that so my thinking is that we'll have a point system just to give users some direction in terms of what types of activity we think are most useful for the network and we'll reward that via points but no plans for a token at this point yeah you know one of these days i keep thinking the same thing you know when when are we going to stop seeing tokens because we are getting to a point where not everything does need a token, but at the same time, they're so dang useful for a protocol because as soon as you have a token, you have like this entire force of like marketers that just go out and like, uh, you know, tell everyone about you. Right. And so it's like, um, especially if the price goes up, then suddenly everyone cares about you. Everyone's talking about you. And so it, it does help. I think in certain, in certain things like marketing, obviously like, um, bootstrapping and like fundraising that's useful as well. Uh, but, uh, okay, well, here's kind of a, like a, a fun question though. What, if you did have a token, cause I was thinking about this, what would you call it? Would it be like the, what, what would be the ticker? That's a good question. 
I'm not sure. I think if there could be good meme coins on Eclipse that play off the name Eclipse. Like, I think M-O-O-N, Moon, that'd be a hilarious. I was really just going to say Moon. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that I'd want the Eclipse token to be called that. But if we ever had a token. Um, but but I think stuff like that, there's a lot to go off of just from a branding perspective. So, yeah, yeah it's not something that we've ever thought about. <laughs> Yeah, so you could have you could have Moon, and then you could have a, a competing meme coin, Sun, and then like oh, that's funny. Yeah, and then you have some <laughs> relationship between the tokens, right? But are those? I don't even know those are really mean uh, memes. So that that'd be the hard part. But yeah, oh, okay. Well, what about uh, looking around the space, looking around the entire crypto space? It could be Solana, it could be Ethereum, it could be Cosmos. What are you seeing right now? It doesn't have to be an L2 or, or a blockchain. It could be apps, whatever. What are you seeing right now that's like interesting to you? Maybe it stands out. I think a general trend that's interesting is if you looked at the Cosmos ecosystem you mentioned, that's where a lot of innovation starts. And a great example of that is, for example, Proof of Stake, which originated there with Tendermint yeah. and then made its way back to Ethereum ultimately. Similarly, IBC and Trust Minimized Bridging I think made its way to Ethereum via these L2 bridges in some sense and proof-based bridges, which I even shared security, Eigenlayer. Yeah, shared security, (laughs) totally. So a lot of this has made its way back, but now I think we're starting to see it with Solana too. And Eclipse is one example, but then you also have Rome Protocol, which is a shared sequencer that uses Solana. And a shared sequencer is another piece of layer two infrastructure that's useful for smaller chains like OP stack chains or something like that. So that's interesting to me. And they're always bragging about the data propagation layer of Solana. But I think that that could also be used by the Ethereum ecosystem to provide massive data availability. So there's a (laughs) lot of ways that Solana tech could be unbundled and somewhat repackaged in the Ethereum roadmap. And it just seems like open and land that's up for the taking. So that's one part of it. I think another interesting thing is on Eigenlayer, I think it there's potential for interesting AVS to be developed. At this point, I think that EigenDA is, it's good. It sounds like it's gonna launch in a few months from now. It, it's, I think it's a good start. But the stuff that's really interesting, I think more actively utilizes the stake itself on Eigenlayer. So something that leans into that a little bit more. And I get that the stake theoretically provides economic security and it somewhat rehypothecates it. But the most valuable use of dollars, in my opinion, is TVL on a chain or providing liquidity in an AMM or some sort of useful function for that liquidity. So I expect to see more innovative AVS that lean into that rather than just um, just re-leveraging security in a more traditional sense. There's a lot of cool things happening. It sounds like a lot of things, you're thinking a lot of modular things because, I mean, you're you're like the most modular chain right now. Uh, well, and that's not true. There's a lot of chains that are going modular right now. There's a lot of like weird flavored L2s that are coming out, move-based. Um, I, I think I have seen some IBC-based L2s or, or heard of some IBC-based L2s that are coming out too. It's like uh, we're, we're finally kind of breaking down the walls and, and just building with what are the best tools to build this thing. And, you know, let, let's build that. And, and so it, it is cool to see all these things and... Um, I think the big next hurdle is interoperability. We need to see the ability to trans. We need to see the the idea of chains kind of disappear, right? Like you just kind of build your apps where where they fit the best, and you can move between those apps pretty seamless. And so I've seen some cool stuff with like cross chain intents and Polygon's doing some cool stuff with their interop layer. There's there's a lot of there's just so much going on in the crypto space. It's actually hard to keep track of these days. 
uh, but it's really, really exciting. How long have you been involved in this space? So I bought Bitcoin probably first to get a fake ID or something like that. <laughs> but that was several years ago. I don't, I don't think I really got actively, deeply involved in it until I was working at Citadel. And then the context of having worked in traditional finance, and then also my friends sending me all these crypto white papers that got me more seriously into it. Because honestly, before that, I just thought it was somewhat of a scam. Because it seemed, you know, there's a lot of like anonymity, there's a lot of rug pulls and things like that. So that put a bad taste in my mouth. And then after reading a couple of papers and I was like, oh, there's actually something more interesting about this. And there's more of like a, it's, it's like a harder version of system design, harder than game theory. And I like how Tim Roughgarden describes mechanism design as inverse game theory, where game theory is here's the rules of the game. Now what's the outcome? assuming rational participation, whereas mechanism design is saying, this is what I want the outcome to be. Now, how do I construct rules of the game so that this actually happens? And I think that that's just endlessly fascinating. It's, and it's a much more nascent field than, than just game theory alone. Yeah, there are a lot of scams in the crypto space, but I always think about it like, for one, that's like an, when the internet came around, this, the amount of scams in the world, I'm sure like, a thousand X, right? The internet enables so much surface area for scams. And that's just technology in general. As technology scales, uh, AI, man, AI is going to bring so many scams to the table, but crypto uniquely because it's financialization uh, definitely enables scams, but it's also because of the, the, the ability, the fact that it's a free market. And when you have a free market like that, that's kind of unbounded, it kind of just does everything, right? It's, you're going to have scams, you're going to have legitimate projects, you're going to have a bunch of experiments, you're gonna have a bunch of L2s trying a ton of different things, a bunch of people trying a ton of different currencies, DeFi experiments, stablecoin experiments, Terra Luna, UST, you know, and it, uh, the best survives, keeps building, gets stronger and stronger until you have this ecosystem of things uh, through iteration and trial and error, that's so powerful. And, and it's such a like move forward that you, you couldn't have built it in a, in a safety enabled closed garden. Right. And so I, it's, it's one of the weaknesses of crypto, but it's also its greatest strength is you kind of have this, this freedom in the space. And, uh, those things do get sorted out. I think the scammers we're getting better at, at, uh, getting rid of them. And over time, you know, we'll get better and better. It's just like, uh, remember the, the Nigerian prince used to email everyone and people used to fall for that. And then we got spam filters. People kind of got savvy to those things and you know the market kind of figures it out with you being in the crypto space you used to be in tradfi it's just kind of another fun question when do you what do you see this current state of the market and when do you see the next like do you think there, uh, another crypto bull runs coming do you think we're we're going to see one of those again in uh 2024 2025 or what are your thoughts do you have any thoughts so i typically don't think about price just as a general rule but certainly feels like there's highly bullish sentiment just with the etf and everything but uh, but yeah, I can't I can't I don't know what happens with price and what. Well, uh, is there anything that I missed with Eclipse? Is there anything that like you're really excited about that we didn't touch on? I think the mainnet deployment's a big thing, so folks can follow us on Twitter, and we'll be posting mainnet updates there. You can keep your eyes peeled in terms of uh, how you can participate and how you can engage with our with our chain. All right, as always, none of this was investment advice. None of this is us telling you to. I don't even think we really talked about <laughs> any specific tokens, but if we did, uh, none of us, none of this was us telling you to go invest in crypto or those specific tokens. Crypto is obviously incredibly risky. Uh, you can always, you know, you can always lose money investing in crypto. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's uh, that that's kind of the the price you pay being involved in the space. Yeah.